Introducing Coco Golf's signature shoe, more than just a tennis shoe. It's a fusion of 90s inspired style and cutting edge performance technology with its sleek mid cut silhouette. It's designed to enhance speed and power on the court. The multi piece upper construction delivers high energy return for players of all levels. Whether you're a seasoned pro or just starting out, the Coco CG1 empowers you to dominate the game. Learn more and purchase the Coco CG1 at NewBalance.com. That's one thing to meet your idol, another thing to play your idol, and yet a whole different story when you can beat your idol. Felix Auger-Aliassime, the young Canadian facing Roger Federer in Halle, a tournament feds won 10 times, but Felix comes out on top in three as Roger Federer exits stage left. We say... Hello and greetings. Welcome to Tennis Channel Live. And this is a look at what's coming up on our show today. More from Felix Auger Aliassim taking out Roger Federer in round two in Halle. The wild cards have been announced at Wimbledon. Some very familiar names on that list. And Tennis Magazine's Ed McGrogan's going to join us to talk about all the latest topics going on in the tennis world. Welcome into our Tennis Channel studios here in beautiful Santa Monica, California. Russ Thaler, Hall of Famer, former world number one, Tracy Austin. Wait a second. I was just listening to you call a match. Nico Pereira. Yeah, you got you. One and only. You got the heart rate going already. He's got the warm-up ready to rock and roll. Put some water in this stuff. (laughs) Well, what a day. What great matches that we were able to watch today, including a terrific women's match in Berlin, Tracy, that we got to call with Madison Keys. Madison Keys, that match, that win today was so important for her over Sabalenka. Madison Keys started off the year getting COVID before the Australian Open, wasn't able to compete at the Australian Open swing. Um, then she hasn't made it past the third round all year. So this, I think, is the boost that she needed to get her set on the right track. Yeah, against one of the hottest players on tour in Sabalenka, I think is huge for her in this surface. Big hitting with the forehand in that third set. And it was great for her to come back after losing the second set because she had a great start. So very positive. For that, was, that was later in the day in Berlin, early in the day. Elsewhere in Germany, in Halle, that's where all uh, attention was focused as Roger Federer took the court in his second-round match against Felix Oje Aliassim. And we'll feel it coming off a, a finals appearance last week on the grass, and he's in form. This is a stuff of dream for somebody that grew up watching Roger Federer, especially with the start from Fed taking the first set. Looked very solid. Good job by Oger for keeping the pressure. He served very well. It allowed him to stay in the match. His forehand worked to perfection. Look at the movement by the youngster here. And Federer was giving signs of slowing down a bit at the end of the second set. And in the third, it was all Oger who did a great job mentally. To me, that was the big tester today. And this is not easy to go up against your idol and then lose the first set. And Felix really raised the level of his game. All-court game, so good from the baseline. He served extremely well. He started targeting the Federer backhand on his serve. And Federer's serve, his service percentage, really started to dip. And that's where Oje Aliassim, look at that pass. That's almost up the middle of the court. So Roger was looking the wrong way. And Felix went from strength to strength. So many points he finished off at the net. And so much respect. No huge celebration at the end when he beats Roger Federer, his idol. You know inside, the emotions must be churning for Felix Auger-Aliassime as 
Roger exits the court. Take a look at the match stats and some really stand out. It just catches your eye, that big 88% uh, when he makes the first serve, and that's what kept him in the match in that second set. I think Roger had a look at possibly finishing it in two, but after playing so little tennis the past year and a half, it's just hard at 39 to get your sea legs under you. Positive signs from Federer playing two matches, but still a big challenge playing three out of five. How about break point saved? Boy, Roger's serve was under a lot of pressure. He faced 15, was able to save most of them, but Felix only only, uh, really faced one break point all day long. That was the huge difference. Big serving day for the youngster. Huge win emotionally for sure for Felix Oje Aliassime. Let's hear from him after the match. I played six games with Roger a couple years ago in practice, so uh, it wasn't much, but for sure in, in a match it's completely different. And I just, I think, understood how you know good he was and how much he can make uh, players you know struggle against him and 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 to just face him you know face to face, see how he plays. Uh, how he serves so precisely and uh, how he makes up the spins. It was uh, it was good. You know, it was a good experience to see that. And um, I think I've also, with the win, I've also learned a lot uh, facing Roger. And where does Roger go from here? Does he look for more match play before Wimbledon? Or what do you do if you're Roger Federer? Well, he might play some exhibition matches the week prior, but I doubt it. It's back to the drawing board with his team. See how he feels physically to me. That's the key. The matches... He can come across them if he wants to, I'm pretty sure. Yeah, he did look a little rusty. I mean, he hasn't had as as many matches as he normally would. So you kind of doubt yourself, even if you're Roger Federer, on those big points. And for Felix, I've just got to give him huge kudos. When you have admired someone, when somebody's your idol, and you go out there, it's like me playing Chrissy or me playing Billie Jean. Half the time you're thinking about playing them, and that's very difficult to get that to get over that. So he did an excellent job after losing the first set of just kind of pushing that aside. It's kind of like when Roger beat Pete at Wimbledon. You wonder, I mean, I think it's great that Felix also got to play Roger at least once. Yeah, but at 20, he, he sounds very mature. And remember, it was him that told Chapo to take down Nadal's poster from his <laughs> wall. And then Chapo <laughs> went on to beat him at the Canadian Open. So this guy is very wise beyond his years. So Felix Oje Aliasim moving on. Big day for an American on the grass as well. Marcos Giron, 27 years old. If you're not familiar, start getting yourself familiar with this guy. And Marcus, Marcus Giron in the forecourt. He was the NCAA champion for UCLA 2014. 2016, he had double hip surgery, and he was lingering around 200 in the world. And now he's broken into the top 100 in the last year. Boy, has it has been a meteoric rise for Marco. So much doubt removed. He's got a big game, and this is a huge win in Germany against the big guy, Struve. Yeah, Struve's been playing some wonderful ball, and I'm great to see Marco's qualifying, winning matches. And it's, it's not been a one-shot deal. He's been doing it for the past year and a half. Started this event ranked 75 in the world. That should be going up. Here are the rest of the scores on the grass for the men in Halle and in Queens. What stands out to you? Oh, Draper beating Bublik, the youngster getting a wildcard at 19, reaching the quarters at Queens. He'll have a chance to play for the semis against another Brit, Nori, who had a huge win over Karatsev. That stands out. And of course, Marcos Giron will be taking on Cam Nori. Uh, excuse me, Cam, it'll be Cam Nori and uh, Draper, Draper in, in, the, uh, in the next round. All right, let's check out the uh, the women. And, Tracy, we had a chance to call this match. It was a good one. The number one seed, Arena Sabalenka, 
facing the American Madison Keys. Yeah, yeah, and this is hard to believe that this is a second round matchup, but uh, Keys is ranked outside the top 20 now, so dressed the same, so I'm going to let you know that it's Sabalenka in the near court, and she got down for love in the first set. Keys came out on fire. Everything was working. Sabalenka worked Speed her way keys. into the first set, wasn't able to take it, but it helped her in the second set. Sabalenka moved her court position on her return. She moved way back. But then during the point, she established herself closer to the baseline and was able to dictate. And then it was Sabalenka who decisively took the second set 6-1. So where was that third set going to go? Sabalenka kept the momentum, had a two-love lead, but Keyes did a wonderful job of just hanging in there, mentally tough, terrific movement, great agility and feel. Got three games in a row, and she was off to the races. And then it was tied the rest of the way, and we called this match, Russ. It was very high-quality tennis, high-octane tennis for sure. And Sabalenka was up 30-15 in that last game, but then turned it around quickly, and she's got the match point and the win. Thomas Hogstead, Rodney Marshall, excited for Madison Keys because this is going to turn her year around. We haven't had a chance to see a whole lot of Madison Keys in the last year or so for different reasons from getting COVID and, of course, the shutdown. How big of a win do you think that is for Madison? I was just impressed with her movement, and I think that the win is huge, not only because she beat one of the hottest players on tour, but she lost that second set, started down in the third, and was able to turn it around. And if you've seen a lot of Madison Keys matches, that usually doesn't happen. She can tend to get down on herself. She didn't, so it's a great sign. Yeah, I was just really impressed, as you said. I mean, she was in a hole. She had lost eight of nine consecutive games. And against Sabalenka, who has won just about the most matches other than Ash Barty mm-hmm. all year long, you think, okay, it's going to be very tough with Sabalenka hitting so big. But Keys hung in there. I think she's really hungry to get back to the top. It's been a difficult year for her. And for her to be able to play that well, she's won two grass court titles. She knows that she can play well on the surface. I think... Uh, that sends a message to the rest of the young ladies in the locker room that I'm back. Been a difficult year. Been a difficult stretch for Bianca Andreescu, a major champion whose body just can't seem to stay healthy. But she was on the court today taking on French veteran Alize Cornet. Tough matchup for Andreescu. Well, Andrescu has had so many ups and downs, and Cornet is such a wily competitor. She is, Cornet is in the forecourt. Andrescu, this is just her sixth event of the entire year. Of course, we remember Andrescu got to the finals of Wimbledon, but has played so little as of late. Andrescu in the far court, lost in the first round to Sedanchev. She's just really had such bad luck with the injuries and hasn't been able to get up ahead of steam. And Cornet, who can play everywhere on the court. She's going to get a lot of balls back, great defense, but she can also play offense by finishing points off at the net. Another good win for her. She beat Anna Samova in the first round. The French woman is moving on. Andrescu will take her talents elsewhere as her tournament has come to an end. Here's a full look at these scores from Berlin and Birmingham. Nico? Donna Vekic playing some great tennis to close it out against Camila Georgi moves on. Vekic looks like she's in form. She likes to play in this surface. Watch out for her. She's getting some confidence. Kiki Ladenovic with a win over Fiona Ferro there. Ladenovic has been struggling off late. She should play well here. She's an offensive player. So I think that's a good win 
for Kiki as we've seen her struggle the last couple of seasons. Spitalina, the second seed, she goes out to Alexandrova. Yeah, Alexandrova hits such a clean ball. It's so dangerous. And speaking of Kiki, you're talking about Kiki. Kiki Burton's in the news. Haven't heard a lot mm. from Kiki Burton's on the court. Now we kind of know why. Kiki Burton's announcing today on Instagram that this will be her last season. She's been dealing with an Achilles injury. She has. She had surgery, and she is such a popular young lady with other players and with the fans. Of course, from the Netherlands, got into the top 10. Such a, a, a great player, hard-hitting from the ground, and uh, that's going to be sad that it's going to be Kiki's last season, but, uh, boy, she had a phenomenal career. Well, she was always a threat on the clay, reaching the semis at Roland Garros, but then she became an all-quarter, and as you mentioned, she was in the top ten. Mm -hmm. Too bad that it ended so quickly, so swiftly with that injury she's been struggling. We have not seen her for a season and a half. According to reports, after the Olympics, she's then going to make a decision about the hard-court swing heading into the U.S. Open, but Kiki Burton's... It's too bad, so we will cherish what we have left of watching Kiki on the court. When we come back, we're talking to MrTennis.com. Ed McGrogan joins us to speak about Naomi Osaka and the other big tennis points going on around the world. And the Wimbledon wild cards have been announced. You'll be interested to know who's going to be on the courts at the all England Club. Next. Introducing Coco Golf's signature shoe, more than just a tennis shoe. It's a fusion of 90s-inspired style and cutting-edge performance technology with its sleek mid-cut silhouette. It's designed to enhance speed and power on the court. The multi-piece upper construction delivers high-energy return for players of all levels. Whether you're a seasoned pro or just starting out, the Coco CG1 empowers you to dominate the game. Learn more and purchase the Coco CG1 at NewBalance.com. It's not long now before Grand Slam action gets back on the grass at the All England Club. Don't miss nightly primetime coverage of Wimbledon on Tennis Channel beginning Monday, June 28th at 4.30 p.m. Eastern. And speaking of the championships, the wild cards are out and some very familiar names on the list, Tracy. Yeah, uh, not surprised about Andy Murray because we know he's had that hip injury for so long. But for Venus Williams, now outside the top 100, five-time champion. She'll be 41 years old. I think it's tomorrow. So Venus getting the wild card. That's just great that Franny Jones is getting that wild card. She's just a, such a special lady and Draper with the two big wins. It'll be a sight to see at Wimbledon. Well-deserved. Yes. And we were talking yesterday about how they're allowed to have 50% capacity at the start of the event, moving all the way to 100% on finals weekend. Tickets go on sale tomorrow. That's right. Tickets go on sale on Thursday. You can register at my Wimbledon today to get tickets. That's a hot one. Good Eddie. luck. Yeah, good, good luck. luck. Good luck getting it's those. It's never easy getting those. are like the golden ticket. They are. And I don't think the queues are going to be around, right? They won't let everybody. I can't imagine. The no, queues they're not going to have. Not the having queues, those. No. Okay. Edmund so Hill, Murray Mound, like nothing. Tennis fans that know the queue, a lot of the, the British fans, actually international fans, they spend the night waiting in mm -hmm. tents for those tickets. I know people that leave the grounds, leave the tickets, and then you're able to get it at, at face value. And it's just a, a great opportunity to check it out. You know what? It's time to bring in the managing editor of Tennis.com. Ed McGrogan joins us on Skype from the beautiful New England enclave of Ridgefield, Connecticut. Ed, great to have you on. Look, we're making the transition from clay to grass. How's that going for you at Tennis.com? 
Yeah, it's a fast one this year and uh, faster than ever. You know, even with the players, you know, looking at just today's matches, for example, I think the big thing about it is how quickly players that may not have had great success on clay for months now, it's such a long season, you know, can turn it around really quickly. Uh, I thought Chilich over Fanini is a fine example, but even seeing someone like Coco Vandewey just popping up on the screen again, um, you forget that the the change in surface, Nico, you mentioned this during the match, is so drastic that, you know, it opens up uh, a way to really save a season, kind of get a season going again that kind of no other sport does. Um, maybe golf is the only other example, but I, I think in the way we're covering it is, um, you know, we just got through a, a very busy French Open for a lot of reasons that we'll, we'll get into, I'm sure. Uh, but the page has seemingly already been turned. Uh, there was a, a lot of withdrawals this week, a lot of early exits from big names, but, you know, everybody peaks for Wimbledon, and uh, I'd like to think we do as well. Well, we saw Novak Djokovic win his 19th Grand Slam title. Now he's one behind Roger and Rafa. Do you guys ever get tired of talking about the big three? And what is the next juicy topic that you have in the pipeline for us? <laughs> well, I think if the big three were in a vacuum, you might be able to say that. But I, I thought today, just seeing Felix's match against Roger, the way I've covered the big three over the years is we're able to cover them a different way just because the opponents keep changing. Even if their greatness hasn't diminished, you know, years ago, many years ago at this point, we're talking about, you know, there was Roddick, it was Tommy Haas, it was Davidenko, guys like that that were the challengers to Federer and Rafa, and that's just evolved over the years, and now we get to Zverev, to Medvedev, to Tsitsipas, and then you go all the way down. You know, it's going to get even younger. It just depends how long they want to play. Um, I, I think that you're, you know, to use a basketball analogy, I, I say this to a lot of people, you're seeing kind of three Michael Jordans at the same time, too. So I think it's not only a matter of the opponent's change, and that forces them to evolve a little bit, but... You're also seeing players that are really kind of on a different plane altogether. Um, and when you keep having, when this GOAT debate continues to be livelier and doesn't go away, you know, I think that's less a reflection of people being tired about the players and more about, you know, just we're, we're talking about stats that aren't going to be touched, I believe, for generations here. So whatever the next juicy topic is, in, in if we're framing it in this perspective, is honestly just who breaks the door down. And I think back to, you know, 2001, that was when Roger knocked off Pete at Wimbledon. And maybe Wimbledon finally is that time for someone to kind of take a crack and connect. Um, I do give a lot of credit to Sitsipas, to players like that, in spite of their defeats then. I think you can tell, I think it's kind of crazy to think that they're not getting closer. It's just that the margins are so fine and Rafa, Novak, and Roger have just mastered it. And Ed, talking about juicy topics, the first few days of Roland Garros, Naomi Osaka's story took over the news. Her desire not to go into press conferences after her match, and ultimately she withdrew before her second round. What's your take on that? Should press conferences be changed? Can they be changed? You know, I think the solutions to this, Tracy, are the toughest thing. You know, we had actually a great conversation um, on Tennis.com on a podcast between Kamal Murray and Ben Rothenberg about this. And I think everybody is kind of in agreement that, you know, for someone like Naomi, who obviously had 
you know, she just has some uncomfortability with the situation. I think a lot of us can identify with that. Certainly, I'm, I consider myself one of the most introverted people I know. I'm surprised you're letting me on this show right now <laughs> for that reason. But, you know, I think the solutions are the harder part. And, you know, do I think that players necessarily have to do a press conference after every single match? Uh, you know, during a slam, we'd be seeing them seven or eight times in some cases. I don't know. Maybe that's up for debate. Um, I, I certainly, though, don't believe that, you know, we can universally say that, you know, we can call off press conferences. I think that's A, an overreaction. And B, you know, one thing is I think many players that Naomi plays with, they also said, like, this is part of the job. And it's a responsibility that they have upheld that generations before them have. So I don't think I think it continues to be a tricky topic. I think that's why it got such widespread coverage. Um, but I think the solutions are the hardest part because I empathize with Naomi, but you know, the sport and the media obviously has a, a responsibility to keep growing itself too. And I got a thought. I mean, tell me what you think about I think there should be some accountability. I think reporters asking questions should announce their name and their publication when asking a question because then at least you're putting your bosses on the line. So you have some accountability there. What do you think about that? I can take the heat if we need to, but I, I do think that there is, to your point, Russ, I mean, some questions that are asked in press conferences just do not warrant even being asked, honestly. I think that's part of what Naomi has struggled with, too, is that, um, you know, you're dealing with questions that aren't germane to, like, being productive, to gathering information, to, you know, kind of going both ways. They're for this to work, there does need to be a relationship that, you know, works both sides. And I think that, yeah, I, I feel for players that are under duress hearing the same question over and over again, certainly questions that don't really belong in pressers. Fanini himself, you know, a guy who I think likes the press, he he had a great quote of Roland Garris about, you know, you guys have asked me about the young Italians a million times now. And I, I empathize with that. Um, so I think it goes both ways here. And again, the solution's the hardest part, um, but I, I think it, def it definitely seems like something has happened with this situation mm. that caught a lot of people's attention. I think the slams and the sport will probably have to react to that in some way over time. I've been around these press conferences for 30 years now, and they just keep getting longer and longer, first in English, then in their native language. Then there is a queue of, of reporters. I was one of them for a long, long time waiting to ask them questions. This has to be shortened. Is there a way to make a pre-selection of the questions, choose the best ones and go with that. And instead of having them 45 minutes to an hour after the match, just having them in there for 15, 20 minutes, I think that would go a long way. What do you think? I forgot about, yeah, the bilingual aspect of it, those demands, and that's tricky to get around. I think, Nico, one thing you could consider is, you know, are we making press conferences too formal? Are we, are, you know, like you said, we have a wait, we have a, a, a section of time that's devoted just to this. I think, you know, if you look at other sports and, you know, this is kind of pre-COVID where you have essentially like a mixed zone that happens, you know, directly after a match where you're honestly going to get the most authentic reactions from players. And at the same time, they would be done in a more timely manner. I think you get good answers that way. And then I think it's, you know, it's a matter of limiting. I think, I think limiting is a tricky word when it comes to press, but um, you know, do we, do we have, you know, too many cooks in the kitchen, so to speak? Uh, it's, um, I, I think what you're saying has a lot of, uh, is kind of the ramp to where it needs to go, mm. but I agree that I think they're too formal in general right now. 
I like Nico's ideas, though. I, I do like good. your idea, Nico. We're running yeah. short on time, so I'm not going to ask you to explain what tennis can learn from pickleball. That's that's ripped directly from a headline on tennis.com. But can you tell us, Ed, what do you like? What's new about the new tennis.com? I'll keep it short and sweet. I think it's visually gorgeous. I think, hey, look, stick with us. I think that certainly we have, we've seen what we did under, over Roland Garros, but you're seeing, A, a visually a beautiful product, scores and matches presented in the best way possible for stats and live updates. And you're seeing more of our stories accessible in ways that we haven't before. I think if you go into any story, you're going to find a way to see the breadth of what goes into covering a slam any tournament, any week of the year. Um, I encourage everybody to check it out because I've been with the site for many years, and this is by far the biggest transformation we've had. Ed McGrogan, managing editor of Tennis.com. Ed, thanks for joining us. I'll see you over at Ross's Bread in town sometime. Time for us to take a break, and when we come back, we're hitting the social net here on TC Live. Welcome back off to Birmingham, and so nice to see Coco Vandeweghe back on the court and playing well, Tracy. Yes, this is so important for Coco to be able to get reps out on the court. Her ranking has dropped to about 200 in the world now because of injuries. First it was a foot injury, then it was a left-hand injury where she had to have surgery. So Vandeweghe in the near court lost the first set 6-4 from Tijanovic, but she gets the second set, and she's starting to play well. We know that she can play well on this surface. She's won titles before. She's been to the semifinals of a couple of majors, and she has a big game. One of the biggest servers in the game, and today she was on fire. That's got to feel great for Coco. She hasn't been to the quarterfinals in about three years. Good stuff for Coco Vandeweghe. All right, time now for our social net, and... This is a big one for tennis fans and tennis players and coaches alike because Top Court has become the new, uh, the official e-learning partner of the ATP and WTA. And several people and faces that we know well can be seen on there with some free lessons, their subscriptions as well. I just love it. You know, technology and tennis have to go hand in hand. You have to keep up. And this is a great way, great product to see the guys are keen on going there and explaining their their techniques, their habits, their routines. And that just gets us closer to the fan. And that's what it's all about. Who wouldn't want to learn from those level of players, right? I mean, these pros are getting down and dirty teaching you the techniques. They go into mental toughness and mental strength as well. So it's really really an excellent platform. If you're a doubles player, who better to learn doubles from than the Brian brothers? For sure. Time to go to break, and as we go to break, a look at our schedule, which begins at 5 a.m. Eastern tomorrow on Tennis Channel. We're back with a look at our featured matches for Thursday on Tennis Channel and TC Plus. Not a bad one of the bunch. Tracy, what do you like? Oh, this is tough. This is like a buffet. I only get one. I'm going with Kerber and Azarenka. Hard to believe those two Grand Slam champions are competing so early in the tournament. I just love the fact that we have such great tennis the week after a slam, two weeks prior to another one. I just can't handle so much emotion. But Berrettini and Murray is the one to watch. Love what I saw from Andy on his way back. Very emotional. I wonder if Veratini will be a little too much for him being seated number one and hard, as hard a 
hate her as he is. I like Nishikori and Korda and Ooh. Jesse Pagula and Pliskova. How you about the two? I, you know what? You I can do that. Wall. I did. I did. <laughs> I <You> like know, it. <laughs> just when you thought you had all the answers, I changed the questions. <laughs> the rowdy one. Thanks, Rowdy. Thank you for watching us, everybody. Roger Federer out in Hala. A fun day of tennis all around. And more to come tomorrow. Thanks so much for watching. Tennis Channel Live. Our coverage begins at 5 a.m. Eastern, 2 a.m. Pacific on Tennis Channel.